Please take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. We will be in several uh, passages today, so you can sit back. The scripture should be on the screens, and the notes will be online this week. But since we're not in a book continuously, we're hopping all over the place to make our points. So if you feel like you can't keep up, you can get the, the sermon notes online. Romans chapter 12, let's pray once more before we begin. Father, thank you so much that you came to my rescue. And many, many people here today can say that as well. And we can say corporately that you came to our rescue when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were in an enemy of yours, and in your grace and in your mercy, you sent your son Jesus to transfer us out of the kingdom of darkness and to bring us into the kingdom of the son of your love in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And we thank you for that. As we look at your word today, Father, would you send the spirit to open our eyes to understand even more what it means that your son is a human being just like us. He, he, he was when he came in his incarnation. He is now and will forever be a human being like us. The only difference, and it's a big difference, Father, is that Jesus was without sin. And that's what we needed a Savior for, to rescue us from our sin, to rescue us from the curse of Adam's sin, to rescue us from your wrath. And we thank you for Jesus. Help us now as we... Direct our thoughts and our hearts and minds to him. Help us now by the Spirit for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing our series titled Deep Things, Delighting in the Triune God. And today we are going to continue to examine the incarnation of Jesus Christ and what that means for us as human beings. What does it mean that the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, God the Son, what does it mean that he took on human flesh? What does it mean that he was made up of everything that we are made up of? What does it mean that Jesus was just like us? Yet he was without sin, as Hebrews states. That's what we'll talk about today in God's word. Here's our big idea for today. God wants your body. God wants your body now, and God wants your body for eternity. Now, I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment, but first let's, let's recap what we've looked at two weeks ago and have been talking about. Two weeks ago, we looked at a group of heretics who had risen up in the second century and had crept into the church as they were known as Gnostics. They were creeping into the church and spreading false teachings. The Gnostics take their name from the Greek word for knowledge, which is gnosis. And the Gnostics believed that everything material and everything physical in this world was evil. Everything was bad. Trees were bad. Birds were bad. Toenails were bad. Hair was bad. Camels were bad, etc. Everything physical in this world, according to the Gnostics, was evil and was bad. They held to several dualisms where they pitted something good in their eyes against something bad in their, in their eyes. 
Let's recap the dualisms that we looked at several weeks ago. One, they had a theological dualism. They believed that there were two gods. They believed that there was this unknowable God who was in the spirit realm somewhere out there. You couldn't get to know him because he was way out there. And they believed in the bad God who they believed was the God that we worship, Yahweh. They believed that God made the world and it's his fault that the world is all messed up. So they had a theological dualism. Two gods. One was good, one was bad. They also held to a cosmological dualism, that there were two worlds. There's the physical world that we live in, which is bad, according to them. And then there's the spiritual world somewhere out there in the heavenlies, which is the good world. The invisible world was good, according to the Gnostics. The visible, physical world that we dwell in was bad. Thirdly, they held to an anthropological dualism, their view of man. They, they believed that human beings were divided into two groups. There were the good humans and the bad humans. The good humans were the spiritual human beings, and the bad humans were the unspiritual. Spiritual human beings were the good beings because they focused on the spiritual world. And, of course, the Gnostics included themselves in the good group. How convenient, right? The bad humans were those who were made up of flesh The body was bad, but the spirit or the soul was good. The body, the Gnostics said, traps the spirit in this world. And the spirit is just longing to be released from the body to find freedom. Fourthly, they held to a soteriological dualism concerning salvation. Salvation for the Gnostic was simply this. Going to heaven when you die. Leaving the body... And never to return to it again. Salvation was immaterial. Salvation for the Gnostic is that your spirit was just floating up in heaven somewhere. There's no physical resurrection for the Gnostics that were creeping into the churches in the second century. They were only concerned about getting that special knowledge. Which is why their name comes from the Greek word for knowledge. The Gnostics believed that to get salvation you had to have the special kind of knowledge that they only possessed. Again, how convenient, isn't it? So the Gnostic believed that Christ came from heaven to reveal this special knowledge so that certain chosen ones could understand and then have their spirit set free from their body. Set my spirit free that I might worship thee. The Gnostic would have loved to sing that song as if worship isn't physical and tangible, as if worship is just about the spirit, as if worship is just about what is happening inside my heart. Tell me, how do you worship God without your body? How do you raise your hands and worship God without your body? How do you sing without your body? Worship is all about using your body. And isn't that what Paul means in Romans 12, verses 1 through 2? We read it earlier. Let's read it again. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 1 and hear the words of the living God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Present your what, Paul? Bodies. Worship with the body is what, Paul? 
It's, it's spiritual. Renew your what, Paul? Your mind. It sounds very physical to me. Sounds like fingernails and elbows and ears and toes are instruments through which we worship God. It sounds like worship of God is with our bodies and not just our spirits. Commenting on this verse, New Testament scholar Thomas Schreiner says, One cannot consign dedication to God to the spirit and neglect the body. Genuine commitment to God embraces every area of life and includes the body in all of its particularity and concreteness. Worship is about the body. Surely that's what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 6 when he says in verse 13, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and he will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Who is the body for, Paul? It's for the Lord. What is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul? It's the body. Glorify God with what, Paul? With your body. You see, somehow Christians have believed, like the Gnostics, that the body is bad and that our spirit is what matters the most. But God says that worship is very physical, very fleshy, very skin, very much bones, muscle, tissue, eyes, ears, and hands. And God loves the human body so much that he sent his son Jesus to become a human being and that he would remain a human being for eternity. God loves the human body so much that he sent Jesus to become a human being and Jesus Christ will remain a human being for eternity. And God loved the human body so much that he gave us the Holy Spirit to live inside of our bodies as a temple, both individually and corporately as a church and as the universal church. Body bad? No. Body good. Sounds very caveman-like, doesn't it? Body bad? No. Body good. The Gnostics just wanted to set their spirit free so that they could worship. But that's not Christianity. Understand this. Christianity has always been about human beings worshiping God with their bodies. And it will be that way forever. That's what eternity in heaven on the new earth will be like. All believers worshiping God with resurrected bodies forever. But for the Gnostics of the second century, Christ took on human flesh just to reveal this special knowledge 
of salvation. Now notice that I said that Christ took on human flesh because the Gnostics didn't believe in the physical world that it was good. Here's what the Gnostic believed. They had two Christological views, two views, two ways that they viewed the world and how Jesus Christ came into the world. The Gnostics had two views, two ways to explain how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The first one was this, adoptionism. In adoptionism, the Gnostics believed that Christ came from heaven and adopted this human being named Jesus and that he lived inside of this human being named Jesus throughout, throughout the incarnation. The Gnostics believed that Christ, God, came upon a human being who happened to be named Jesus. And according to the Gnostic, Jesus was a human. He was born to Mary and Joseph. And Christ, the spiritual being, came from heaven to live inside Jesus the human who was on earth. According to adoptionism, Christ deposited himself into the person of Jesus. Christ came from heaven, lived inside Jesus until the cross, and then he left before the crucifixion. Now, why would Christ have to leave before Jesus the man died, according to the Gnostics? Because Jesus, or Christ, God wanted nothing to do with this physical world, especially death and suffering. So the Gnostics who bought adoptionism had to, get Je- had to get Christ out of Jesus the man before he was crucified. I know it sounds crazy, but this was the popular teaching of the day in the second century. As this false teaching was creeping into the church, the Gnostics believed those who embraced adoptionism, that Christ came from heaven and deposited, deposited himself down into the man, Jesus. It's like the old jack-in-the-box commercial from several years ago where they were promoting the new pastrami grilled sandwich. And it was probably on sourdough because it seems like jack-in-the-box has rediscovered sourdough bread. Everything that's new is on sourdough. Several years ago, they're promoting the pastrami grilled sandwich. And the commercial starts out, and this woman is showing Jack. You know the guy with the big white circle? She's showing him this test group of people who are trying out the pastrami grilled sandwich. And they can see them behind the glass. In the next room over from those trying out the pastrami grilled sandwich, there is a man who is hung upside down by his feet, and he is being dipped down into this large vat of strawberry smoothies. He's being lowered down in and out of the strawberry smoothies. And Jack says, what's happening over there? And the lady giving him the tour says, we're just hazing an intern. Now, the Gnostic would have seen that commercial and said, that's exactly what happened when Christ came from heaven. He came down from heaven and adopted this man named Jesus and uh, and deposited himself down into the man. Just like that man being dipped down into the smoothie. The man did not become the smoothie. He came down into the smoothie. And that is what it was like when Christ came. He came down into the man, Jesus, and then he left. That's one way that the Gnostics explained the incarnation. The second way is called docetism. This comes from the Greek word dikeo, which means to seem or appear to be. Some Gnostics believed that Christ could not have come to live in a physical material body because the physical material body is bad. So the Gnostics believed that Jesus only appeared to be here. He only seemed to be. He looked like a man. He looked like he had a beard. He looked like he had toenails. He looked like he touched people. But he was only an apparition. To the Gnostics who embraced docetism, Jesus was only a ghost or a phantom. 
kind of like the old Scooby-Doo cartoons. Remember how there was always some ghost or phantom floating around, and Scooby and his friends were always trying to solve the mystery. And remember how each episode ended with them taking the mask off of someone and realizing it was someone that they had met earlier? Well, the Gnostics who embraced docetism would have seen Scooby-Doo and said, that's it, that's what Christ was like. He was a phantom, he was a ghost. He only appeared to be physical. Some of you are huggers. Sometimes I'm a hugger. Sometimes I hug people. Some people, some of you really like to hug people, and that's okay. The Gnostics who embraced docetism would have said if that if you went up to give Jesus a hug, it would have gone like this. Because he's just a ghost or a phantom. Notice that with adoptionism and docetism, You are dealing with a dualism that will not let the spirit of Christ have anything to do with the flesh and blood and bone of humanity. The Gnostics said, spirit good, body bad. So Jesus could not have been a human being. But what does the Apostle Paul say in 1 John chapter 1 as he speaks of Jesus and the word made flesh? He says, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. John says, we saw Jesus with our eyes. We heard his voice with our ears. We touched him. We arm wrestled with him. We threw a football with him. We saw and heard Jesus laughing. And just yesterday, I pictured Jesus just sitting there laughing. You know those moments where you're laughing so hard, the tears are coming down your face. It's hard to breathe. And somebody says something else, and you're just saying, stop, stop. It's too much. I'm laughing. That's what John is saying. We saw Jesus come in the flesh. We saw him with our eyes. What John is saying in 1 John here is that Jesus was very much a human being. But then in chapter 4, John describes even further the humanity of Jesus and where humans go wrong in thinking about the humanity of Jesus. In 1 John chapter 4, in verse 1 through 3, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. John is saying that you know the Holy Spirit is at work in someone's life when they affirm the full humanity of Jesus Christ. But John is also saying that you can tell the Antichrist by someone denying the humanity of Jesus. The Antichrist is easy to spot, John says. The devil is easy to spot, John says. You spot the devil as clear as daylight when you have someone saying that Jesus did not come in the flesh. You spot the devil as clear as daylight when you have someone saying that Jesus Christ did not become a human being like us without sin. 
you spot the devil as clear as daylight when you have someone saying that Jesus did not have stinky armpits. You spot the devil as clear as daylight when you have someone saying that Jesus did not make stinky noises with his body. You spot the devil as clear as daylight when you have someone saying that Jesus never needed to trim his fingernails. You spot the devil as clear as daylight when you have someone saying that when Jesus sneezed, no snot would fly out of his nose. You see, you can find Satan at work when you find a person who minimizes the fleshiness of Jesus. When someone minimizes the humanity of Jesus, that's where the devil is at work. When someone stresses the deity of Jesus, that he is God, to the neglect or the diminishing of his humanity, that's a clue that Satan is at work. Let me say that again. When someone stresses the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is God and of the same essence and nature as God the Father and the Spirit, but they say that to the neglect or the diminishing of his humanity, that is a clear sign that the devil is at work in the way that person thinks about Jesus. That's what the Apostle John is saying in 1 John chapter 4. When someone says that Jesus did not have bad breath when he woke up in the morning, when someone says that Jesus did not get stinky armpits, or that Jesus did not get diarrhea or a stomachache, or that Jesus did not pass gas, or that Jesus did not sleep crooked and his neck would hurt when he woke up, or that Jesus did not stub his toe, or that Jesus did not get hungry, exhausted, tired, or worn out. When someone says that Jesus did not do those things, then that's a clue that Satan is at work in the way that that person is thinking about Jesus. Anyone who merely stresses that Jesus is God and denies or diminishes or downplays his humanity, that person is to be equated with the demons of hell and with Satan. That person is to be equated with the Antichrist. That's what the Apostle John is saying in 1 John chapter 4. So realize this, Grace. You are not more spiritual if you emphasize the fact that Jesus is God over the fact that he is human as well. You're not a better, more spiritual Christian if you stress his divinity. You are not more holy. You are not more mature if you only stress his divinity. To be Christian is to talk about the deity of Jesus Christ in the exact sentence and with the same breath as his humanity. Because he is both. And to favor one over the other is something, but it is not Christian. The Gnostics of the second century only stressed the deity of Jesus Christ. And as deity, they claimed that Jesus came to stress a secret knowledge. To be saved under Gnosticism meant that you had to know the right things. And those two things were this. You have to know that the Father is the true God. And the Demiurge, named Yahweh, is the false God. And the Father is only concerned with spiritual matters and spiritual things. And, and, and the Father hates the physical world. And he wants to get you out of here into the heavenlies. Remember, 
Salvation in Gnosticism was about dying and going to heaven. That's it. No physical, bodily resurrection. The Gnostic would read passages about the resurrection and interpret them as a spiritual resurrection. The second thing you had to know to be saved under Gnosticism was that you have to know that the real part of you is the spiritual part of you. You are not your body, according to the Gnostic. Your body can be thrown away like a a dirty diaper after you die. There is no eternal need for the body, according to the Gnostic. The Gnostic would have loved to sing this song, This world is not my own, I'm just a passing through. To know these two things is to experience salvation for the Gnostic of the second century. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is not about this world is not my own. I'm just a passing through. Christianity sings this world is God's and it's broken because of Adam's sin. But I'm not just a passing through. I am here and I expect to be resurrected on the newly restored earth that Jesus will renew one day. This world is my own world. It just happens to be broken and God's going to fix it one day. Christianity stresses bodily resurrection after the likeness of Jesus on the new earth. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3, in verse 20, 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Transform our what, Paul? Our bodies. To be like what, Paul? To be like his glorious body. This is proof that God wants your body. Now and for eternity. Paul also says in Philippians 1, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But Paul doesn't mean that he just wants to leave this planet And never return. No, Paul loves Jesus so much that he wants to be with Jesus right now. But Paul also knows this is not the ultimate final plan. The ultimate plan is to see his spirit reunited with his body at resurrection to dwell on the new earth with God forever. After all, that's what Jesus is planning on doing. Of course Paul wants that. Jesus is coming back to this planet to set up his eternal kingdom. Paul is not interested in hanging out in heaven in a disembodied state forever. No, Paul wants his spirit to be reunited with his body again, just like Jesus after his resurrection. Paul's waiting for heaven to come down to earth, which is what the Apostle John says in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husbands. This means that human beings were created from here for here. We were not created from here for there, meaning heaven and Spirit separated from body in this disembodied state. We were not created for that. We were created from the dust. Our spirits to go be with Jesus, but our body to be raised from the the dead. We were not created from the dust to die and then just have our spirits go to heaven and that's it. Humans were created from here, from the dust of the earth, for here to be on the earth forever. Human beings were created 
from the earth for life on the earth. We were not created from here for there, meaning a disembodied state in heaven, even though that happens to Christians after they die. Human beings were created from here for here. We were not created from here for there. But we need the power and the grace from there to help us while we live here now in this broken world. We need the power and the grace from there supplied by the Holy Spirit to live while we live in this broken world. You see, the Gnostic just wanted to get out of this world and get to heaven. The Christian wants to be with Jesus in heaven, but ultimately they want to be with Jesus, worshiping him in the heavenly city on the new earth in a resurrected, glorified body. And that's exactly what Jesus wants for you. God wants your body now and for eternity. Salvation for the Gnostic was just getting to heaven. Salvation for the Christian is all about recreation. Salvation is a setting aright everything that sin set wrong. We become new creatures in Christ when we repent and believe, but that recreation won't be finalized completely until your spirit and your body reunite for eternity. The good news of the gospel is that your flesh and blood and bones and tissue are valuable. The good news of the gospel is that your body matters to God. The good news of the gospel is that God wants your body. That's what Paul says in Romans 12. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God wants your body. He wants you to worship him with your body now and forever. Commenting on this verse, Doug Moo says, The sacrifice that we offer is not some specific form of praise or service, but our bodies themselves. It is not only what we can give that God demands. He demands the giver. The sacrifice that we offer is not some specific form of praise or service, but our bodies themselves. It is not only what we can give God that, demand, that he demands. He demands the giver. God wants you. He doesn't want what you can give. He wants you, the giver. He demands the giver. He demands the giver's body. The good news of the gospel is that your flesh, your body, matters. Your body is valuable. Your fingernails matter. Your hair matters. Your toes matter. Your spleen matters. Your nose matters. Your armpits matter. Your shins matter. Why? Because your body is the temple of God. And God has started a process of recreation in you now that will culminate in the resurrection of your body from the dead. Therefore, Christians don't hate this world. And Christians don't hate their bodies, or they shouldn't. We are to value our flesh, blood, bones, because God values it. Our flesh, blood, and bones, our body, is so valuable that God is going to save it one day in resurrection. Our bodies are so valuable that Jesus Christ became flesh, became a human being in order to save not only our spirits, but our bodies. Jesus 
loved, Jesus cherished, Jesus valued flesh and blood and bones and toenails and tongues and hair and armpits so much that he became it. Jesus loved the human body so much that he became a human being. And that's what the elements of the Lord's Supper. That's what the elements of communion are screaming out to us this morning. Can you hear them screaming out to you? Do you value your body the way God does? You should. Christians should take the most care of their bodies. Christians should take the most care of this world, this planet. Why? Because it belongs to the Lord. And Jesus loved flesh and blood and bones and blood vessels so much that he came and took on flesh and experienced the most perverse and twisted and corrupt and abnormal thing that any human being could experience, and that was death. And he did that that he might save us spirit and body. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is proof that God wants your body. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is God using body language to communicate with us. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is God communicating to us using flesh and blood and bone and tissue and ligament. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is proof that God wants your body. Present it to him. As a living sacrifice. Present it to him now as we remember and proclaim his life, death, and resurrection as we eat of the Lord's Supper. Present your body to him as you remember his body and his blood. Let us examine our hearts as we come to the table. Let us examine our hearts as we come to fixate our own hearts, on his body. We have seen that our bodies matter to God, but God is not only concerned about our individual bodies, he is concerned about his church, his body. God is concerned about how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. How do you use your body to relate to other bodies in this church body? How do you use your body to relate to everybody that's in this church body? Do you slander or gossip with your tongue? Do you lust with your eyes? Do you harbor envy and unforgiveness in your heart and mind? Come to the table today with your whole being Come with your body and repent if you aren't rightly related to God. Repent if you aren't rightly related to others in this church body. Come today and receive the grace that you need from Jesus Christ, the God-man, who was fully God, 100% God, fully man, 100% man, with those two natures united together in one person. Come to the table today to receive the grace that you need on your spiritual journey. Come today and think about the body, the human body of Jesus Christ that was broken, beaten, and bled 
for you, for your body. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all that he is for us. God, so many of us have devalued our bodies. We haven't placed the right emphasis upon resurrection in our gospel messages. We only like to think of Jesus as God and not so much as man. But we needed him to be just like us, Father, except without sin. And we thank you for what these elements represent today. Would you forgive us of our sins for the way that we've used our body? The way we've used our mind and our eyes and our ears and our tongue. Everything about us, God. All of us come here today broken and needy. And we ask you to forgive us and we thank you that you do. Help us to direct our hearts to your son and all that you are for us in him. And we think about what he did in his body and how unlike Adam he passed the test he was completely obedient he never sinned help us to think about that and the fact that you give us his record his perfection and he takes our sin and goes to the cross and dies in a very physical human body capture our hearts Once again, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.